Hello and welcome to Heineken Rugby Weekly on the 42.ie. You know the story at this stage. Every week we bring you behind the lines with expert analysis, tactical insights and engaging conversation around the international and club season. Our expert analysts will ask the hard questions and answer any you might have each Thursday. If you want to get more from the game, join Heineken Rugby Club, whose members enjoy exclusive rewards like match tickets and more. Visit heidegenrugbyclub.com and remember to enjoy Heineken responsibly and visit drinkaware.ie on how to do so. Gavin Casey here and joining me in studio for the second consecutive week. I'm delighted to say it's Murray Kinsella of the 42.ie. Hey, how are you going? Very well, thanks Murray. And Andy Dunn. We've held you down for a week, Andy. Yeah, nice to get two in a row. It certainly is. Let's <laughs> Feels try and very make it, consistent. Let's try and make it. Let's try and make it three next week. But yeah, we're doing mm. well so far. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, let's uh, let's look back on what was. Uh, I think it's hard to argue against it being the best year of um, rugby in Irish history. So we're going to go through it all, pick out some of the key moments, the key players. And what to look forward to in 2019 for the three provinces, or the four provinces as well, rather, as well as um, Ireland. So we'll start with the Grand Slam. Mm. Not a bad place ever to start, actually, when you're reviewing a year. No, especially when it gets going in as dramatic a circumstance as that over in France. Um, like even from a journalist's point of view, you're obviously the last 20 minutes of the game, you're spending writing your match report. And in that game, uh, you get into closing quarters. It looks like Ireland had a pretty poor performance. Grand Slam dream over at the the very start of things. Even Anthony Bello lines up that penalty in the seventy eighth minute. You kind of go, okay, I'll finish off my match board here. Have it ready to go for the final whistle, and then he misses that. And the five minutes and four seconds that followed from Johnny Sexton's restart to the ball going through the posts, uh, forty one phases will probably never be forgotten. Like you'll you'll forget it individual phases in that. But there are so many special moments. Even the quality of his drop kick for the restart was exceptional. Low. Uh, quite hard across the pitch for Henderson to catch on the run um, and launch from there you know like 29 phases later they're still in their own half and he, he goes for the the crossfield kick to Keith Earl's exceptional catch and then that little what do you call it fight like a rat in a corner mm. that Felix Jones kind of put in his mind to break up field the second last carry from Ian Henderson where he kind of rolls and bounces through the tackle it's almost a roulette yeah lovely moment and then Stander has the final carry where he gets his shoulders real low um, under tail end and then he spins out of it rolls on the ground Peter Romani with the last clear out and then the pass from Conor Murray was as good no, obviously not as good as quite as the, the drop kick but it was perfect you know to his right hand side doesn't have to step back he can actually step straight into his drop kick um, and Andy probably you can describe that drop kick better than anyone but it was just a sublime moment well I it, there's a lot of parallels um, with the sequence it was a lot of a, sh- a shorter sequence when England got the winning drop goal in the 03 World Cup for Wilkinson there were there were key kind of seminal moments there was a Matt Dawson line break from the edge of a ruck there was a Delalio carry there was um, there was a delay at, at the ruck and a Martin Johnson shield and it came back to Wilkinson and knocked it over with his right foot and obviously probably their greatest ever moment um, in English rugby I I yeah it's it's pretty like you said Gav it's pretty hard to argue against it being our greatest year in Irish rugby and I think it's pretty hard to argue against that not being our greatest ever Irish rugby moment, mm. um, just incredible that the you mentioned the crossfield kick by Sexton. I think that was one of the the bravest things he's ever done on a, on a field. Mm. I mean, had he got that wrong, literally, your your seventy eight minutes, seventy nine minute, all the journals, you can see them scrambling, <laughs> you know, to get that piece in, and it was it was an entirely different. It was such a sea change had we lost that game. And had he done that cross kick and we lost possession, 
those articles probably ironically now 12 months later those articles would have been scathing enough it was a poor yeah. it was a poor performance mm. and it's not outlandish to suggest Joe would have been under a little bit of pressure because yeah. we'd had a we hadn't had a great year prior to that and uh, you know the previous six nations hadn't been great we'd, we'd been turned over in Murrayfield um, previous two of them really yeah and uh, you know it's amazing how sport can change on fine margins and uh, I, I'm sure Joe is pretty aware if he ever if, he, if, if we thought he loved Johnny Sexton before <laughs> that I think it's uh, it's going to be a never ending affair at this stage yeah because without that gain of ground it doesn't happen like he was involved <clears throat> if you look back through the phases we, I remember we did a piece at the time it took hours and hours but every little phase that every little act that went into that build up but every single time they actually made valuable yards he was integrally involved whether it was his pass or his kick or a decision he made on the ball or directed someone into the decision so he was absolutely integral to all of it and once that momentum started rolling it it just went from there didn't it like even yeah. the Italy match it, obviously you're expecting a big win there anyway but I remember the Keith Earls chase back for right at the end in the last minute against yeah. Bellini Bellini intercepts Carberry game is yeah. over like no yeah. one no one outside the group would have really cared whatever they scored a, a consolation try there there would have been frustration but it just summed up where the team was suddenly in their in their mentality you, you remember Johnny Sexton Murray on the bench standing up and applauding it, and that was definitely their moment of the game um, and then from there on all the way to Twickenham you just had so many of those moments and that momentum just never stopped and really probably hasn't yet yeah I think the first half in Twickenham is, is noteworthy as well it was a pretty destructive 40 minutes uh, over in Twickenham with with a Grand Slam at stake, we kind of ripped them apart, um, and it was it was arguably Joe Schmidt's greatest forty minutes, um, greatest half. I think he's he's coached uh, an Irish team in, um, and I would include the New Zealand game at home, just mm. in terms of you know we 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 literally strategically took them apart over forty minutes. We were physically dominant, we were tactically shrewd, we were creative. Um, it was an exceptional performance. It was mm. exceptionally cold as well. I might yeah, yeah. It was watching a, it. It was yeah. the, the only thing that could warm you up. I think, I think you're it was right. The it was coldest a, I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was all those components that probably made it more memorable. The little bit yes. of snow and everything. Yeah. All the components of what makes Ireland a really <clears> great <throat> world class side and contenders uh, for the World Cup next year. You know, it even started with, as you say, physical dominance. Like the first kickoff, James Ryan absolutely smashes Itoje. A couple of minutes later, himself and Levy absolutely dominate Hartley when he's coming on that hard line to really mm. challenge Ireland physically. After six minutes, really good kick, contested. Anthony Watson drops and Gary yeah. Ringrose gets on the ball. Then, what was it, 24th minute, the incredibly <clears throat> manufactured try where Furlong puts Aki away. Um, and just looking back at that, you know, the ing ingenuity of it all strikes you again. And the fact that it was tucked away for a couple of years until they brought it back out against <clears> England. Um, Stockdale's individual chip and chase after Murray kind of identifies a bit of space as well. But like, I, I don't think, rarely if ever have I seen a team so psychologically dominant as well as physically. Like, they, they, even if you were to just isolate the, the uh, three first half tries, the first mm. one you bomb one down on top of Watson and clearly it's saying we're targeting you because we don't trust you under this high ball or we trust that you're going to cough it up. Mm. He does. Uh, Ringrose eventually dots it down. Uh, the second one, as you mentioned, it's a move that they just kept in the back locker and to produce it against England, a team of the calibre of England and for it to go so well and, you know, take a, a two score lead at that point. Yeah. And then the third one, maybe less so, but the third one, the beautiful thing about it, obviously, was that England had extended the dead ball area and Stockdale touches <laughs> yeah. it down with literally an inch to spare. 
So <clears> it was just the most, like everything came together so yeah. perfectly. Well, psychologically, it's a really strong group, obviously. But even the younger guy, like we mentioned James Ryan and Levy there, those two guys are really dominant personalities. Jacob Stockdale it just floods with confidence. Even when there's a mistake, he completely backs himself the next time to get it right. Even if he doesn't actually get it right, he still believes he's going to do it the next time. Jordan Larmer off the bench, another guy who has that dominant personality. They've never come into that group and been awed by what what it means to be involved with Ireland. They've gone in there expecting to win every time and largely have done so. So mentally, I think it's it's a it's a brilliant group. Even the like England scored in the first half when Peter Manny mm. was in the sin bin. It was a lovely grubber from Farrell to da- to Daly. But they made them work so, so hard for that try. You know, they defended a series of malls, defended really well with 14 men. And yes, they did crack in the end. And you can see they're trying to go, that's a bad outcome. But it was 10 minutes of England spending their energy trying to score. Whereas Ireland's tries came, you know, directly from a set piece at, at one stage. And one of the things, if you look back at England's two, it was daily twice, I think, actually, wasn't it? Uh, it was Mike Brown's offload in the second half yep. to put him over. So their first two tries, both of those times, Daly has touched the ball down and is back on his feet and Gary Ringrose on both occasions is kind of in his face like just annoying him and it just it just kind of reminded me of how annoying Ireland were to deal with on that day like every single thing was contested even when the ball is dead at that point like the score has been awarded and the second time Daly notices it's Ringrose again and he shoves him away like he's pissed off yeah. you know but Mr. It was nice just... guy Gary Ringrose <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> he's even there you go they were all at it that day it was a great day I, can I be a little indulgent absolutely I, I got I got up that morning uh, a little hungover at about 6 a.m. Well, 5 a.m. I reckon to get about a 6.15 flight. Are you sure you still weren't langers? <laughs> <laughs> so I got to, uh, the the issue being when I woke up hungover, the radiator was on and it was very toasty in my apartment. So I put on a very skimpy jacket and a t-shirt and managed to shamble my way into a taxi, get to the airport and suddenly landed in Heathrow about 10 a.m. and there was horizontal snow coming across <laughs> the tarmac. Um, I managed to get a lift to Twickenham then by the most notorious grumpy journalist uh, Stephen Jones ah, great guy. Uh, and a very interesting chat with him on the way he was talking about the complexities of coaching his son's under 16's team how <laughs> difficult he found coaching which is ironic given he mm. land based most coaches on a weekly basis <laughs> um, And but when I got to the game at, at that point I was close to freezing I think my, you know eyelashes were beginning to freeze over and a, a, an elderly couple behind me we were on the gantry commentating and an elderly couple English couple lady obviously with maternal instincts that she couldn't watch me shivering anymore and threw an English flag on top of me to try and keep <laughs> me warm which I took and wore for that game and she actually ended up giving me a scarf as well so while I was commentating on our Grand Slam win in Twickenham I was wearing an English flag and an English scarf to keep me warm and I was really really hopeful no one would take a photo <laughs> I'd like to launch an appeal for anybody with footage or pictures of Andy draped in English garb please send them to Trade uh, treason how? How? No, who are you working with? How do they not? Uh, sport, <laughs> sport at the 42.ie If you have yeah. any of those, we'd love to. Uh, we'd love to see it. Like just to, to uh, wrap on the Six Nations, and it, I'm kind of going into the middle here. But even if you were to look at the Wales game, like this is the, the third fixture, and in the end on the scoreboard, it kind of looks like a bit of a resounding win, and yet we know obviously it wasn't like Stockdale's interception at the end was was the deciding factor, and things might have gone south had he uh, not made that. But like when you think about it, then like you're over halfway through a, a whole campaign and it's, things still weren't perfect if you know what I mean like it took Ireland a while to properly mm. motor or like before they were this kind of well-oiled machine that we've seen since then if you know what I mean yeah but like w- we always talk about like 
you know, even that moment, the Johnny Sex moment, there's there's always like imperfections. There was always an, a narrow margin between starting off your Grand Slam and, and it failing. Like that performance, there was loads of brilliant stuff in as well. Like Johnny Sexton's pass for Stockdale's Troy. Outrageous. Where he skips Aki. Just a brilliant moment of skill. And then they actually bullied Wales, really. The the direct tries, it was Levy, Keen Healy scored one. I think Aki maybe got over in that game as well. Um, and they were really direct, really uh, ferocious, all that latching, really good leg drive into the tackle. Um, so that was how they, they got through that win. Um, and there were loads of little moments like that in all the games where um, physically they probably dominated their opposition as well as probably outthinking them even against Scotland you think of that little power play try where Ringrose loops off Aki and, and puts Stockdale over in the left corner they always had that little bit of intelligence to go along with the requirement that is physical uh, excellence or dominance even in those Six Nations games so yeah you could definitely nitpick and there was a lot of chat about the defence remember mm. about Andy Farrell's leadership of Ireland's defence and you talk to other, like some of it warranted, like, you know, in that Wales game, they conceded to Gareth Davies a, a really soft try through the centre. Um, but we probably all got caught up in looking for those imperfections, um, which is a good thing to do and they would have done it themselves. But now people are talking about Andy Farrell's defence as being the best in the world, having shut down the All Blacks. Um, and certainly other coaches would view it as that. So it is interesting the way the narrative and, and things like that, when you reflect back, kind of ebb and flow. But no, it didn't always look like this is, dead set for a Grand Slam but um, every time they found an answer No that's the thing I, I, I didn't even mean it as a criticism more so that this um, the machine that Ireland has become okay it's been uh, built over time but it's quite recent that they have become such a dominant force yeah. we, like the November series we've touched upon very recently so I don't mm. think there's much need to go into it in, in too much detail but this podcast didn't exist when we went to Australia so it's a nice time I think to, to look back on that and, and what was actually a really Probably an underrated series overall. That was a brilliant f- series. Absolutely yeah. brilliant series. First ever uh, three test series between the two yeah. countries, I believe. And, and obviously we hadn't won in, in nearly four decades, uh, won a series down there in nearly yeah. 40 years. And it came down to the final play. Remember the, the potential knock-on from Stockdale? Yeah. And it's been really damaging for the Wallabies. They were good in that series. They were really competitive. Since then, it's all gone downhill to the point where they've completely changed the structure um, above Cheka. Um, no, I thought that series was really valuable because... Ireland got into a losing position where they had to go after the series. You know, uh, he hands Carberry a start in the first test. That's obviously not the only reason they lost, but without Johnny Sexton. Well, they were actually winning when Carberry went off the field. Yeah, very true. I'm not having to go Carberry. I'm just yeah. saying he maybe didn't put his full strength team true, out going true, yeah. chase after a test. Um, but it put them in a position where they had to come back. Um, and I think that's valuable in a World Cup. Maybe you know, in, within a game that you've been in a losing position and got yourself out of it. Again, adding to that sense of belief within the group. It was a very entertaining series and again showed a different side to Ireland even in terms of their leadership because Rory Best was absent through injury and Sexton and Omani led the group pretty well. So if you lose Rory Best either through selection or injury, you know that your leadership group has the quality to, to cope with that as well. So really valuable for them. Um, guys like Larmer got, got more exposure. Even Dan Levy had a couple of injuries on the tour as well. So there was... Um, a bit more variety in the back row as well. So it was a massive part of their journey while possibly with a bit less of the pressure that's involved in the Six Nations, um, they had an, another really good tour. Yeah, it was interesting watching back um, some of the footage of the third test in particular recently. It was the um, Fox Australia footage and just the commentary team, including George Gregan, how complimentary they were towards Australia and how like they, okay, they they dropped the series overall, but they were looking at it with, with um, such hope and, and such op- optimism for 
Australia's rugby championship and and the foreseeable future. They kind of we even mentioned, I think, you know, Ireland wanted to get a win over Australia before the World Cup, as if I suppose that they themselves would be in contention as well based on the evidence they'd seen. And yet, as Murray said, there it's gone south for them extremely quickly since then. Like it was, it transpired to be quite a damaging series defeat. Even if you remember Cheka after that third test, he was borderline emotional in the interview. Like, yeah. he was just... I think he's borderline emotional in most, most Well, yeah, but he just seemed like... A, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he wa- I'm sure he wasn't, but he just seemed like a broken man. He couldn't believe yeah. it had gotten away from them, you know? Yeah, I think they've lost their way, you know, a little bit. Um, you know, you, you hear... Um, was it Brandon Cannon mm. coming out and talking about, you know, Australian rugby's lost its way and look at Ireland and the, the parallels and a guy like New Sephora, why isn't he been, you know... Why aren't they booking him a first-class trip straight back to Australia and to put some shape onto their overall rugby setup? I think they don't have an ideal um, contribution to Super Rugby. They've they've been you know dicing around with that for a couple of years. They've changed franchises and locations. Their domestic uh, competition is nowhere near the level, for example, of the MPC over in New Zealand. So I think all those roads lead to a a kind of a disjointed international setup and also a coach who at times which has been great very successful is emotional and is erratic at times and can be very reactive and aggressive and all these things it's all kind of stoked up into one fiery kind of situation over there that um you would wonder is it going to get any better in the lead up to the World Cup mm. you'd wonder are they going to continue to go down here yeah. well I guess that brings us leading forward like it is interesting that they performed so well at the last World Cup mm. with having had not much of a build up with him that maybe that was a strength of his that it was emotive yeah. Argentina performed so well at that World Cup Obviously, mm. we know they have an emotive element to their game as well. Interesting, to- talking to Mario Ledesma, and he said, it's such a battle. Uh, you know, you almost think sometimes you have racial stereotypes. He said, I've got Latin players. It's actually a battle to get them to be process-driven and structured yeah. like, the, yeah. like the rest of the world in rugby is. And you wouldn't be surprised if they had a really good World Cup again. The World Cups are kind of different. And if we're looking forward, like Ireland's success over the last year or whatever since Joe Schmidt has taken over really is it a guarantee of, of success in the World Cup we don't, we don't know that, that's the big question and it's going to be the final question I guess of his tenure as well well I suppose we know that it's not a guarantee based on the last World Cup we <laughs> qualified two... that with the five injuries in the quarterfinal he, he but, would in but his that mind. can happen as in you can't guarantee <clears throat> yeah. success in a World Cup as in the, the five injuries happen in a high attritional high octane game against France because the games yeah. are coming thick and fast and... and the last four years for him three years uh, have been about trying to make sure that that question if posed again, is is answered far more convincingly. And you'd have to say that, yeah, the depth does look a lot, lot stronger. We've talked about it a few times on here, but there certainly are more options in every position. And there's young players who've been pushed through, um, giving just a wider spread of, of talent across the squad. So they look better in that regard. There's, there's I, I've kind of felt like the only person in the universe at times waving a flag in the corner. but An English flag? Uh, and I... <laughs> Uh, we'll say a, a little yellow flag, a new, neutral yellow. Um, <laughs> it's uh, my concern, and it is, it's probably unfounded, but we win international rugby games with Ireland at the moment with an average of about 140 rooks. Um, and New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, England, Wales, Scotland, their, their stats, when they win, they're winning with 80 rooks. 
So in order to win an international match, I don't know, I can't remember the last time I was in a ruck or can you remember the last time you were in one? <laughs> a ruck is a pretty horrific experience. <laughs> to have 60 of those more in a game than other countries at peer level to win an international is very, very attritional. And we, if we have a depth that we didn't have at the previous World Cup, we need it. And we, we, you could argue we need 45 players to win six, seven games in a row for a World Cup playing in that style. Now, we only bring 31 to that World Cup. That's my little flag in the corner. Mm. I, it's not a... It's not a um, I suppose it's not a criticism of the style. It's really effective and we can also be creative and we've been excellent and our execution is excellent. It's just so damn hard to replicate it six, seven times in a short period of time when you consider our our rivals are winning in a much more economic way. But they're not winning that much. They're not winning. Well, New Zealand are winning as much as us. Okay, uh, yeah. And they're taking, you know, and I think we were legitimately talking about going to the World Cup as contenders to win it. Something like that to me is going to challenge, significantly challenge our, our chances of winning it. It doesn't mean we can't, but that's, like I said, sometimes I feel like I'm the only person yeah. in the no, world did, waving I, this flag. Yeah, but like, it is a valid point. I think, like Joe Schmidt would argue the point that he'd say, we, don't, we play more away than one. And I do think against the perceived weaker nations they, they do go to a, a more you know they use a link passes at the back that they don't really use it at times against the, the frontier nations that They're they try economic try against. to be exactly try to be less um, physically focused or abrasive and, and direct with their running so I think he probably although he says I'm always game focused I think every little element of it has been building towards the World Cup and little things he's done even during the during this year's Six Nations Grand Slam run, they used something simple like those, um, you know, skip pass across your obvious carrier uh, po- mm-hmm. uh, pod of forward ball carriers to a centre, and they had real success with that. That's gone now. That we haven't really seen that since the Six Nations. So he's kind of took that away. He's took plays away. He's took game plans away. So I think it's all been building towards that. And I think he will have recognised that potential weakness. I think you'll also recognise... I don't think that's going to change from a stylistic point. I don't think we're going to reduce our amount of rucks in intense games. I don't see it changing. It's too hard to change in this period of time. Like Scotland are playing a different way but it's an Argentina coming into the last World Cup changed their game three to four years before the last World Cup Mm. and and Mm. we're not going to change that, I don't think. I don't think against the top nations we are but I think he'll, uh, in his mind, he'll have a different style of playing against whoever the weak ones in the group are, end up being, uh, whichever look like the win- yeah. very winnable fixtures mm. that he'll maybe be less abrasive in those games and use the depth. Another point is... Like I think his, using the depth is probably the, his way out of it. To, yeah. to, and we and we can comfortably go to a second 15 in a World Cup setting now that no one's going to have any doubts over. Absolutely. Could I, could uh, and just another one, j- just in terms of his intensity and, and keeping the group together, like it's a long time for a group to be together. Yeah. I think he'll have recognised in the last World Cup that maybe... He didn't manage that as well. Did, did yeah, he might need to leave the room on occasions. He may do. In a he may need to five week period. Let Andy Farrell have a, yeah. a couple of days where he's the figurehead because he gets on so well with the players because there's a more, you know, I don't know, jokey, friendly relationship yeah. there at times mm. that's not all unbelievable intensity all the time because it's very mm. difficult for any human being to do that over the course of seven, yeah. eight weeks, whatever it is, including your preseason. So I think that'll be a part of the last World Cup as well that by the time the players got to the end of that camp, a lot of them obviously very disappointed to be at the tournament, but almost relieved to be out of that incredibly intense environment. Yeah, big time. Before we look at the uh, key players, or your you guys, uh, your key players from that uh, Ireland season, which obviously included a victory over the All Blacks as well, but we have discussed that very recently. Can I propose to you that my favourite moment of the year, apart from the Grand Slam and apart from beating the All Blacks, we'll say, was at the end of that third test with Australia when 
Peter Romani as the kind of standing captain was summoned over to uh, collect the Lansdowne Cup and make a speech and instead he grabbed the cup and just made a beeline back to the team and the guy's just calling after him like Pete Pete and Romani eventually hears him turns around and very conspicuously just goes ah oh, shit and goes over <laughs> makes maybe the worst speech of all time you know like the typical Peter Romani like look uh and it says like three lines and then he just goes, happy days. And he <laughs> off again. He then places the cup on top or in front of the advertising hoarding. You know, the players are all behind that, like for the pictures. But then realizes, oh, no, we have to lift this thing. So I has to reach <laughs> back over the, the advertising hoarding and lift it up. It was uh, an absolute omni shambles, but a, kind of an enjoyable one. Yeah, there's a lot of silly trophies out there. I don't know if you saw this. Someone did a compilation of his interviews where he goes, Ah, look. Yeah. At the no. start, they put them all together. It's very, it's actually very well done. But he had a brilliant season. The, the All Blacks game obviously stands out for him individually, but there was loads of guys who stood up, weren't there? Yeah. So who are we talking about here? You might kick us off, Murray. Yeah. Well, I mean, like Johnny Sexton, we've spoken probably the last month a good bit about him around that World Player of the Year award, and he was at his very best. Um, physically, he's obviously in, in fantastic condition and, and has been managed really well to, to avoid injury. Um, just his organizational quality is just brilliant to watch you probably don't appreciate it on TV because there's so many close angles you can't see what's going on off the ball you can't see what he's directing and the real strength to him is his ability like the great footballers of our time our time before us to think ahead of play and, and to plot ahead of play which probably is even more relevant in rugby where you're going through phases and Ireland tend to get a lot of phases I think it's always fascinating to see him moving little parts of the picture into the right position to you know, manipulate the backfield or whatever it is, and then to execute with his really good skill set. That's something other outhouse probably don't have. A lot of them probably live face to face and mm. trying to look for an opportunity and be more instinctive and creative that way. He was at his very best, and we've spoken about so many of those moments before. Another guy who really could have pushed him for player of the year was James Ryan, who's just mm. already world class, already one of the best in his position. Mm. Um, and I know, like, stats don't say it all, but his quality of tackle and carry was was quite incredible. I added up all his tackles and all his carries in 2018 in Leinster and with Ireland. What would you say? Guess the how number many, of tackles. How many games did he, he play? He played 24, 24 appearances for Leinster and I'd Ireland. I'd say he averaged about 10 to 12 tackles a game, did he? Something like that. Higher than that. It was 14.5. That's so incredible though. That is unbelievable yeah. for a second round. 299 tackles he made. <laughs> <laughs> Against big lads. And he probably missed about three. Like he probably, you know. If, Very low missed tackle. Yeah. He, he is a freak. Yeah. He is, he's incredible. Carries 304. And the thing is, his carries have become exponentially <clears throat> better as the season has gone on. Even looking at some of the early Six Nations games, yeah. not, not necessarily the, the volume of them, but the impact of them. I was like looking back over that Wales game, for example, and yes, he carried a lot of ball, but he wasn't, you know, and he was carrying well. Mm. But like if you were to compare it to even the James Ring we saw in November, like he's, he's a, a far better ball carrier now, I believe, than he was earlier in the season. I think he can very comfortably and safely argue now. I'm not saying he's, he's necessarily overall had a bigger impact than Paul O'Connell he's a better ball carrier than Paul O'Connell by a distance oh yeah by a long way you know yeah. um, he. I've tried to look at at how Ryan carries the ball and work out from a mechanics point of view like why can he make so much more ground than everyone else he's not necessarily bulkier he uh, he runs I mean he does he's he's obviously well, I wouldn't say lanky he's, he's tall mm. but he he gets ten yards where other guys just get smashed and 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 hit neutral and I don't know is it because he's he's running at softer shoulders he can anticipate angles better than others but it's not an accident that almost every single time he carries he's making five to ten yards and yeah. like he rarely rarely gets stopped on the game line or gets a neutral carry yeah. he's almost always 
getting through. And I, I can't quite work it out. I've tried to <laughs> tried yeah. to look at it in a scientific way. I've tried to look at it in an emotional way. I, yet, he seems to just com- do it consistently better than every other Irish ball carrier. Mm. There's obviously a physical component that he yeah. has, whatever the explosiveness of his muscles but is different to yeah, other players. Yeah, it must be something genetic or something. I don't know, because Sean great. O'Brien is very stocky. He, yeah. do, he doesn't make, and obviously Sean's had a lot of injuries and disruption, but you might understand it if you saw a guy like Sean O'Brien because mm. he's so strong and stocky, he can barrel over guys. You might understand it if it was, you know, uh, Andrew Porter or Keane Healy or Furlong. Yeah. I, d- I, I think, it's like, personally when I look at it, w- one of the major strengths of him is his ability to arrive onto the ball. Like, in an era where so many ball car- carriers start statically to the side of the rock, yeah. clearly identified, he's so good at slowing his, his run around the corner, at having the intelligence yeah. to time it. Whereas, yeah, you know, the it. less intelligent player probably, okay, I'm going to work really hard to get into position so the scrum half is a clear target. He's getting around the corner and you listen on ref mic and he's so good at just giving that little bit of communication. I'm, I'm going to be there. I'm coming late. Just with his name, you know, Luke, yeah. even the last yeah. day with Leinster, you know, calling Luke McGrath, calling Luke McGrath. Um, and then just the ability to, on the move, to accelerate at exactly the right time. Yeah. And it's a really difficult thing to do, but it's a massive part of any ball well, carry. It's true, it's true. Because yeah. the defender, okay, I've set myself, I can see him coming. Then he changes his angle late with that bit of acceleration. And it's so hard, even in those congested areas, to to just get a really good shot on him. He, and even then when he gets a good shot, he has that drive. He the leg drive. Kind of yeah. dips his lower body low. And sometimes you're like, geez, his head is going to get smashed yeah, someday. Yeah. And then to kind of dip up or rise up out of it or pirouette out of it, the fight on the ground, there's just grit there as well, isn't there, mm. mentally? Yeah. Um, so yeah, his ball carrying from second row is <clears> absolutely exceptional. Scrummaging a tight head lock, like a tough job. I, I don't know how tough, but speaking to props, tight head props, it's massive, the, the power you get behind you. Um, and he's playing 80 minutes pretty much all the time. Like he's 80 minute man already. Um, so long term, he's going to need to be managed. But so far, he's, he's proven durable after a couple of injury problems early in his career. And uh, yeah, God, it's exciting to think that he, you know, when he takes over calling line outs, when he eventually becomes a captain as well, just how complete a player he is. Because we're seeing with Leinster a lot more now, I think, his ability to handle the ball as well. He's playing those nice one-twos with the scrum half, getting his hands free and, and offloading. So he's, he's kind of setting, he is setting new standards for that position. Mm. And you imagine what it's like now in Irish rugby as an 18 to 21 year old. Like he's only, what is he, 22? Yeah. You know, an 18 to 21 year old who is aspiring to be like James Ryan is looking at what he does on a weekly basis. And yeah. that now is, that's now the standard. Mm. So, um, you know, that, that, that is scary and, yeah. and brilliant for Irish rugby at, at the same time. Yeah, no better man than Dev Toner to have alongside him at times as well. Incredibly consistent, durable, learn good habits off him as well. So he's in, he's in great hands. Yeah, perfect environment for him to uh, improve, which is actually hard to imagine. And yet we kind of know what's <laughs> going to happen. So uh, yeah, let's. It'll be interesting when we're talking about him in five years' time, like what, yeah. what, we're, what we're saying. You referred to him there, uh, Key and Healy, another standout guy this year. I think there probably hasn't been um, a huge amount of talk about him, based on the fact that he's not new. He's kind of re-emerged as a really top standard, uh, not only prop forward but just overall player. I think it was well um, documented. He, he trimmed up a bit. I think that obviously helped him return to what was a former dynamic self. I think he probably put on a bit of timber, um, whether that was on purpose or not, or was additional weight training or whatever. He definitely trimmed up. I think it helps. Um, he, I, my favorite thing about Kane Healy is is watching him in the warm up. 
It's like watching <laughs> so Ron- it's like watching Ronaldinho. He's <laughs> unbelievable. And um, there's a famous video on YouTube of Maradona warming up That's for right, a Napoli yeah. game, and "Life Is Life" by Opus is playing in the background. <laughs> and uh, he's the most chilled out man. He's you know he's got a, a swivel of the hips and a shake of the shoulders, and the laces are open. He's doing keepy uppies. It's exactly the same watching Keane. It's mm. so funny. You just don't see rugby players in that mind frame. But wherever he needs to go, I love the fact people leave him on his own to do it as well. There's not some Grim Reaper coach coming in and dragging him into the, the group thing. He's just allowed to go and do his thing. It's worth going to a game 15, 20 minutes earlier to watch him. Not that that makes him Ireland's <laughs> yeah. most significant player. But uh, as, a, as a segue into that, he, he has been excellent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he nails like 30 metre drop goals as well. He did, four, he did one from the halfway yeah. line on Saturday yeah. prior to the bath game. This was in the middle of Storm Deirdre uh, yeah. in the in the warm up. 45 metres on the angle <laughs> of his right foot. And, the, and he does that trick where he, I don't know how he does, he puts his, the front of his foot onto the ball and flicks yeah. it up. Flicks it up backwards, I mean, catches it behind his back. That so yeah, stuff. pretty skillful, but he's been <laughs> exceptional in the scrums. We are talking we, about a loose head prop. Yeah. So probably, ah, yeah. probably should get back, <laughs> get back uh, to basics. In fairness, Ireland's scrum now is a major strength and you saw it against Argentina against the All Blacks like going and winning big penalties driving them completely off the ball as well as giving platform for your backs it's massive his ball carrying has been really good the All Blacks game stood out again and like having come so close to retiring it's like he has this new energy and, and determination to enjoy it but also just to get every single moment out of his career that he can like again, I I love ref Mike because it gives like little insights. But you can hear him so much when he carries, like the sheer ferocity. Um, you know, big, massive groan as he carries. You know, trying to win every little inch that he can, uh, tackling really well. Um, and even at times, little passes out the back door when they're doing that. Probably not the same extent as as Tyke Furlong, but um, really complete and, and hits a lot of rocks as well. So his return has been absolutely brilliant. And you know, it was at one point where is it him or Jack McGrath? I think mm. now it's quite clear to him. And then a brilliant uh, second choice in Jack McGrath. I think there's a lot of similarities with uh, Healy's return to prominence and Keith Earls. It's like the stage of their life, their career, the the contentment of where they're at has has affected how they are on the field. Um, and you know we've mentioned Ryan Sexton and Healy. I think probably the the other for me, if we're going to pick another couple of standout players in the Irish setup this season, has been Earls O'Mahony and. Um, Stockdale Stockdale, Stockdale. Mm. yeah um, of those three and I think Earls and Oani have been consistent performers over 80 minutes and then Stockdale has the kind of bit of magic dust and a bit of vulnerability and a few mistakes Um, I certainly questioned his ability to perform with work to do in front of him I was thinking he's just a finisher and he's an excellent finisher Um, and down in the that first test in Australia with work to do in front of him when we didn't break down their defence he kicked the ball away aimlessly on a number of occasions and it, I, I, I suppose I wondered and pondered out loud is this guy going to be creative enough for us against a good defence and I'm delighted to say I got a bang wrong when I, <laughs> you know when, I, when, when he uh that finish against the All Blacks in November was just phenomenal, and there was there was a little bit of space created for him, but he he had a, had a hell of a lot of work to do, and mm. the uh, the confidence to even to go for that chip, having five minutes previously done a, a, a really bad chip deep in his own territory, which could have cost us the game, yeah. but he went and did it again. So he's got that bit of stardust about him that I think we need to. Uh, acknowledge yeah you, there's so many guys in that squad which is key like Joe's a brilliant coach but he also ha- now has 
a, a really world-class squad of players like Ryan Stockdale, even Porter were playing under 20s only a couple of years ago. They've come through without him having as much of a hand in their development. Um, another guy we can mention, you know, if you're picking the best 13 in the world, Gary Ringrose is definitely in the mix now. He missed the start of Six Nations, but he was instrumental in those last two games. And he just takes a bit of pressure off Johnny Sexton because he has a bit of creativity in his game. He's really developing into that uh, kind of distributing role. His grubber kicking game has been really important and really uh, intelligent. And defensively, obviously, we know he, he's got smarts. Even in the USA game in November, you saw him taking on a leadership role as well, where it almost looked like he was guiding guys through the game, helping others to look really good. And then at the end, he goes, right, this is my time. I'm going to yeah. uh, open this defense up. So... Yeah, like exceptional performance all over the place. And the important and <clears throat> exciting thing is that a lot of them are quite young still. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah Gary Ringrose, the youngest daddy daycare ever, uh, <laughs> filling in for Simon Zebo after a couple of years ago. Uh, let's look at Leinster then, uh, because we have to touch upon the provinces, obviously, before we wrap. Uh, <laughs> we're saying all the good things, really, and it was just an outstanding year for Leinster everything they touch turned to gold and it's just uh, to reflect upon it I suppose the question I would ask is say if you were to compare it to last season and uh, Clermont in the semi-final where did it come from where did it all go right then this year probably learning those bits along the way and even at the time where the outlook just under Leo Cullen when Lancaster wasn't there where we were extremely negative and probably rightfully so there were bad days taking each little bit from that um, but also rebuilding a really strong sense of who they are as Leinster and taking a massive pride in that. They love the fact that 85% of their squad are homegrown and Lancaster has come in and, and reinforced that, you know, pointed out to them that this is quite incredible what you have here um, and it's quite incredible the quality of player you have here as well. Lancaster has obviously been a major part of it in terms of mm. particularly driving on the defence and, and the pride in that area of the game um, and attacking-wise, getting a nice bit of variety. Again, similarly to Ireland, they bully teams at times. The Scarlet's semi-final stands out where Byrne just couldn't, Tyg Byrne couldn't get a sniff of the ball at the breakdown. They just put a massive focus on that and then beat them up in the, in the tighter channels. Um, they're Looking back on the, it was an incredible campaign obviously, but even look at the final, Rassing probably felt, wow, that's one that really got away from, mm. from us. And I've probably said that on the record and O'Gara has, has mentioned that as well. So, um, yeah, little, little things went right from that at the right times. Everyone was fit at the right times and obviously the, the depth of the squad helped a lot. But we've already seen with Toulouse and with Bath away, albeit them winning, how difficult it is to, to back it up. And that's probably in their minds, well, we did that last season, but this, the sign of a really great team and the really, probably in their minds, the greatest Leinster team of all time is us doing it again or doing something similar again. Yeah, what are the challenges there, Andy? Is it as simple as we put it all in last year to achieve what we achieved and it's difficult to actually just sustain the energy and focus required to do so on uh, consecutive years. Yeah, I mean, they've also they've just got a giant target on their back. Mm. Every single team who's going to play them is aware of the intensity Leinster will bring and there's, there's, um, there's a motivational factor in that for all sides to hit peak arousal levels for the Leinster match. It's like when we go to play the All Blacks, we're at kind of peak arousal levels going into that match physically and emotionally and, and everyone else in Europe is going to be at that point or damn close to it playing Leinster. So that, you know, they it's not that they were playing against weak sides last year, anything but, but um, I don't know if they were considered as the top side in Europe 
over the course of last season until they hit their peak and won it. Um, now they are, I think, considered the top side in Europe. So that target on their back is probably the, the biggest challenge in my mind. I think um, you mentioned that Scarlet's game was a hot day in Aviva. That was uh, that was as fearsome a physical performance I've seen, including international rugby, in a long, long time. They would, They just utterly blitzed Scarlet's. It was the most physical. I probably helped from my mind that it was quite close to pitch level. I was shuddering stuff. They they just dominated them. And it was amazing to see Robbie Henshaw come back into that game after an 11-week uh, full shoulder reconstruction and hit the ground running. Like, he hit his straps from minute one. He didn't shirk anything. He was indicative of this kind of physicality that Leinster displayed. Um, it'd be very hard to, to replicate that on a weekly basis, but I think they can hit it at peak level. Mm. And the challenge, I guess, is keeping it all together. Like Lancaster yeah. is massively in demand. The hope would be he's that key. I think he's key. They they really run a hold on to him. Yeah, in in terms of the culture as well, and yeah, not just in his. He's lo- like he's loved. They, mm. You rarely hear players talk about. They they might talk about a coach reverentially and say he's a great strategist and tactician, and they do that about Lancaster. But for other coaches, they mightn't say, "Oh, he's just a great bloke as well." Mm-hmm. Like they all love him, and he's so respected. And he seems to be there's no ego battle with him and Leo Cullen at the top. They work brilliantly together. They have a great synergy, um, and I do think you know he he he's on record saying he's very very content and happy after yeah. his pretty horrible English experience. So I hope he stays. Yeah, by all accounts, Bath aren't going to. Give up without. I wouldn't go near Bath. Massively, Lancaster. Yeah, we've talked about that before. Yeah. Without a massive kind of financial offer, so that, that's <laughs> that's also a chance for Leinster off the pitch, moving forward. Obviously, trying to get the stadium developed, but also keeping guys because it is it's part of a reality off the pitch that we don't see a lot of recontracting guys, making sure that the middle tier in your squad are happy uh, and getting what they feel is their value as well. A guy like Lancaster making sure he's getting paid as well as as well as he should be as well. So there are all those little challenges to being the the top dogs and everyone trying to pick off your players, your coach, um, and also pick off on the pitch as well. But they have all the ingredients, I think, to to do to do something similar. Again. I think it's worth mentioning um, the the executive level management at Leinster. As, like they don't get probably get enough credit for their recruitment over the years. Of if when you consider Cheka Schmidt. Uh, and then Lancaster and, and bringing through a, a guy like Cullen as well and trusting him Mick mm. Dawson um, as CEO he looks like Christa Berg if you've never seen him um, <laughs> he does actually yeah. Yeah. Well, I hope he's but, not uh, as big a gobshite <laughs> <laughs> well clearly he isn't no <laughs> uh, so uh, what I think the likes of Mick who I suppose as a CEO is quite under the radar um, in terms of their overall success deserves some credit and his management team for bringing in people like that and also from a from a grassroots level how strong Leinster rugby has become and they've obviously got 12 to 15 ready-made academies which you know is is part of their strength it seems to be a juggernaut that I don't think is going to stop anytime soon Mm. Well, uh, for the other three lowly provinces by comparison, uh, in a couple of sentences, actually, that's because we do need to wrap here. Yeah. Uh, what can we expect from them in 2019? What do they need to do in 2019? We might start with uh, Connacht at West. Like they've been, they've been going along really nicely of late, and it, yeah. I suppose it's just a case of trying to take that into the early parts of next year and build from there. Yeah, I think a good season for them would be qualifying into the Champions Cup and, and, and a playoff spot in, in the Pro 14. Um, once you get to that stage you don't know considering your momentum we saw under Pat Lamb they got to that stage and it 
the momentum just kept kept rolling on. So uh, I think that would be a good outcome for them um, and maintain that positive vibe within the squad and off the pitch as well. Now there's going to be a development down there mm. and it feels like they're pushing forward on to hopefully have eventually being commercially and stuff like that and more even keel with the, the rest of the provinces in terms of what they're earning with their attendances, etc. But it is really positive going into 2019. I think they look like they're in good shape to, to get that playoff spot. You go along with that? You've got a friend. That's what I want. <laughs> I can't believe no journal has used that line yet in 2018. Right. We're better than that. Gonna, we're better than that. No, we're not. <laughs> I just have to get it out. It, it looks like you've been holding that in all year. I, have, to be I was like, okay. someone's going to use it in some context, <laughs> whether it's relevant or not. But Connacht have a friend. Yeah, I remember James Taylor for uh, Christians <laughs> in the Monster School Senior Cup uh, kicking a penalty and Oshin Langan pulling that one out. You've got a friend in James Taylor. Oh, nice. Nearly went south, Dave Corkery nearly I think David him in the... Corkery threatened to punch him. He did quite, that. Lily. I <laughs> think he thre- thre- threatened physical punch against <laughs> yeah. him, yeah. Uh, let's yeah, so let's, <laughs> let, uh, let's talk about Ulster then briefly. What can we um, look forward to from Ulster next season? Um like they've a serious chance of making it out of their pool. We mm-hmm. would have said at the start of the Heineken uh, Champions Cup when we were previewing it that they actually had very little chance. Uh, we mentioned it last week that we kind of said, "Oh, getting out of the pool would be a good achievement." We were probably actually a little bit harsher than that, or certainly I was. Um, but here they are; they're in. Yeah. They're in reasonably good nick. To the point where now, if they don't get out, it's, it looks it's like a disappointment. A really yeah. disappointment. Yeah. Yeah. And what they, are you doing? And in their mind, they're competing for the the top spot. Obviously, it looks like they have to get the ten points to do that. But mm-hmm. and Racing are in really good form. But to get into a quarter final would be fantastic for them after uh, the frustrating few years without that. Um, and same in Pro 14 as well. Like last season, really petered out, and they were fighting for their lives against the Ospreys in that last game of the season. So to continue what they've been doing under Dan McFarland, and for all of us on the outside to have patience with that as well and understand that mm. from where they've been which is really rock bottom yeah. it is a, a major rebuild and it's going to be a process a couple of years he's already started cleaning out his squad guys have been released or retired quite suddenly and unexpectedly so that process is well underway um, and there's a real renewal with the with a lot of academy guys coming through so that also will take a couple of years but where they are now a quarter final and, and a semi-final would be really good I think they're the, the new feel-good story. Um, and Dan McFarland is a pretty, he's quite a strong, he was coached by him in Connacht. Um, he's, he's quite a strong character and I think he, he seems like he's quite suited to being a head coach. Um, and ironically for a prop, um, their style of play is quite risky and they're, they're, they're trying offloads. They're getting better at them and uh, there's less unforced errors around those offloads and I think that's contributing to their success and as a stylistic thing to watch them play is quite exciting. So it's great to see them come back after that. The Anis Mirabilis yeah. last year. Nice. Nice. You you pull that out of the bag after you've got a, a friend. Of, You're a man of, <laughs> yes, yes. of many talents, and they have to be <laughs> has to be said. Uh, to finish on Monster, then they're at a bit of an odd juncture in that we probably know that if they're on song and they put together a performance to uh, I suppose the fullness of their potential, they're probably the second province in in terms of their ability. And yet we're speaking about the other three provinces, how well they're going, the feel good factor and whatnot. And Monster, at least in Europe. You know, they've, they, the Castro game just sort of left a sour taste a little bit. They left it behind them and they now have work to do in order to get out of the pool. So, Andy, I might start with yourself. What are you looking for in 2019 for Munster? You've mentioned in the past about their, their identity and finding a kind of a rhythm. Is it about yeah. establishing that? I think so. Not so much, a deep, not the deep-rooted cultural identity question. It's the identity of who they are as a team right now and how they're going to play. And I think they haven't quite settled on that for a number of years. And 
when Rod Penny came in, he tried to change everything about you know Munster rugby and how they play, and it wasn't well received. But the game is evolving. You're still going to have games where a good old home truth, like kicking it into the corner, grubbers, bombs in the rain down in France, and a, and a more cynical and edgy forward pack display, which is typifies the monster of old that still matters and you still have to go there and win games and do that and you still have to win tight and win ugly but the game has evolved in general and I think Munster are struggling to find a style of play that suits them as the game is evolving you you can probably easily identify a Leinster style of play an Irish team style of play an Ulster style of play now and a Connacht style of play it's hard to identify a Munster style of play and if they can settle on that I think they need to be really pragmatic and practical and look at the players they've got get the best out of those guys and if it's slightly different to what's been their history so be it and let that team be successful in its own right because they've great personnel they've great coaches they've great attitude they've great support they're hugely important in Irish rugby culture and their contribution to it I just think they're just a little bit lost in in that finding their own way and that style just this current squad and that current coaching team Mm. I just think back to the semi-final over in Racing like how many semi-finals and Peter O'Mahony sitting there at the top of the press conference afterwards just completely crestfallen and the question was you know what can you learn from this going forward and he's I'm sick of learning I'm sick of losing these games and him and himself Conor Murray you know Zebo's left Ryan's left they departed without getting over that that hurdle and, and winning that trophy in the last couple of years I think those guys are are just so sick of it for them obviously that they need to lighten their load a bit you know yeah. I, like there's obviously a huge focus on them and the losses but if they just lighten their load a bit and just go out and play a bit of rugby and see I know it sounds overly simplistic but you know I think you know what I mean it's just it's, it's a heavy environment there when they lose and I just, you know, to break out break out of the shackles a bit coming into the new year and, and play some expansive rugby with the players they've got. I mean, they've, you're talking about a back line with Murray, Carberry, Chris Farrell, Keith Earls, potentially. You know, mm. it's a, a serious squad. Yeah, time for them to stop learning and I suppose dish out a few lessons maybe. That is it uh, for this week's podcast and this year. Chance, it's, it's been, been a pleasure. Yeah, it's been really of them in the bag now, going nicely. Andy was here for what seven or eight? So ah, I didn't say, did when, I get nine yes. or ten? Maybe? I don't know. We weren't counting any, but when when you show Murray up, you was, show Murray up. Was. <laughs> <laughs> stat sheet. The stat, yeah, stat yeah, sheet. Yeah, written there, How many yeah. adjectives have I used this uh, year? Four hundred nineteen <laughs> minutes. How many times has he used Latin? Twelve cliches. <laughs> Oh, listen to everyone who's tuned in so far. Thanks a million. Hope you've enjoyed them, and we will be back in the new year until then uh, have well, enjoy the rest of your Christmas if you're off and have a very happy uh, new year celebrations and new year in total but we'll be back soon and until then take it easy